You're listening to Amphibicast. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. Episode 49 tonight. My guest is Alex Menke of Frog Daddy. And if you remember, Alex came on for actually two episodes last year. It was almost a year ago. That was episode six and seven. So if you want to hear where things were then and how things are now, go check out episode six and seven and then check out tonight's episode. But a couple little quick announcements I wanted to make. Number one, it's been a year almost to the day since I started this podcast. And there's a long list of people I want to thank primarily the audience, but there's a lot of guests that I want to thank, and I'm going to get to that. I have a couple of episodes coming up with some pretty amazing guests. I don't want to spill the beans on who it is yet, but I've got some pretty cool stuff coming up in the works, so stay tuned for that. I will be taking a short break. I have some time coming up that I have a couple of things that I'm going to take care of, so if there is a lapse of a week or two coming up between episodes, don't panic. Um, I have new people coming on. I'm still recording. I'm just taking a, a break to kind of line up some new guests and line up some new topics. Also, I want to just throw it out there. If you are interested in supporting the show, I have started a Patreon. I've got a $3 tier and a $5 tier. And uh, my first Patreon actually did sign up last week. And at the $5 tier, I just tell everyone you get a shout out on the episode. So I want to shout out to Troy Goldberg, my man from Troy's Tropical Garage. Troy, you're my first Patreon. Thank you very much. And there's your shout out. I appreciate that. So moving on, uh, again, you know, if you guys want to support the episode, uh, support the show rather, take a little time, check out the Patreon. If you want to donate a little something, it just kind of goes to really just keeping the show in motion, paying for the uh, the maintenance fees and stuff like that on the website. That's basically it. So like I said, throwing it out there, if you guys want to support it, it's a great way to do so. Uh, another great way to support the show that also helps me out is five-star reviews on Apple Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, take some time, a couple of minutes, leave a nice review on Apple Podcast. Helps get the show out there to a wider audience, which is really what I want. The podcast is continuing to grow, and I like the message just to get out there to as many people as possible. And those five-star reviews definitely help that. So enough about that, enough house cleaning and stuff like that, etc. Let's get into it tonight. Alex, what's up? It's been a year since we've spoken last, well, not a year, we actually spoke a couple of times over the past couple of months informally, but why don't you tell us, what have you been up to in the past year? Well, in the past year, we've done quite a bit. Um, I think the past year and a half would be a great place to start. Um, We had just kind of moved into the facility, Bill and I, my ex-business partner, William Newell, we had just came into the facility about a year and a half ago. and. Tanks were still on the ground. Things were completely, completely discombobulated um, in terms of us moving from apartments um, and a rented house into an actual 10,000 square foot facility. So we did that about a year and a half ago. Um, Since then, since about a year ago, uh, we've made significant improvements to our facility um, in terms of uh, just the the storefront one, which we'll get into. Um, two, our plant production uh, in terms of our indoor grow tents. We have eight of them now, um, four of them being 10 by 10. So we are doing a lot of production on the tropical plant side. Uh, in terms of frogs, we have diversified even further in terms of actual locale counts. Uh, I just counted the other day, and we're up to 131 locales, uh, most of that which being Ufaga pamilio and some of the Ranitomea uh, genus. 
But our tank count has maintained about the same. We still have about 255 enclosures. Haven't gotten that many more, but that is set to change this year. This year's goal is to actually, uh, by the time maybe we hit, hit up next, next year, um, our goal is to actually reach max capacity of the building, which would put us at a 455 enclosures. So exactly 200 more is max capacity. After that, we will actually have no more space in the facility to uh, put enclosures, which is not a bad thing because I've probably got to slow down at some point. Um, otherwise, the new website launched uh, in January. That was a huge thing for us uh, as I had that old Squarespace clunky website uh, for about three years. Um, and the new website is much faster, much more seamless, has two rewards programs. Um, I think I talked a lot about the website um, in its developmental phases on the previous episodes. Well, it's been done for about six, seven months now. I uh, launched it on January 4th, and it's been a huge hit. It has helped our uh, online presence tremendously. And so now we've kind of we've kind of rolled down to focusing on the store. And so I know we'll get into that later. So that's kind of what we've been up to in the last year. How is the challenges of COVID? I should say by challenges, let me preface this by saying that there's been a tremendous demand in the hurt market, kind of in, in every niche possible, people buying stuff from home like crazy. How has that affected your business? Like before we get into the storefront, just the online section of your business, how has that fared during COVID over the past like 18 months or so? So yeah, over the past 18 months, it's been kind of crazy. Um, during the first start of COVID, which as you guys know, happened you know, around that time, which we still had the older website. Um, I didn't really see that significant of an increase in orders at the beginning of it. I think it was toward the mid middle range, especially when we launched our new website. I saw a tremendous, uh, a tremendous amount, I guess, of, of monetary value, uh, obviously, but even traffic, things like new, new customers coming in, a lot of new people started to enter uh, the terrarium and vivarium industries. So plants were kind of catapulting at that time. So, yeah, I mean, plant prices went insane during COVID, um, especially towards the beginning. So we really did try and hit that wave, um, kind of hit and miss. Uh, we hit the wave a little bit because we, we've always had a lot of plants. But I, I was more so focused on the frog market at the time. So I was a little late to the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall sales increased dramatically during COVID. Um, and that was online. So that, you know, being that frog daddy was launched on an online backbone, it was very helpful. We had tremendous growth. Um, so it allowed us to do a lot of new things. Um, and we kind of talked about that lightly just previously um, that allowed us to buy the grow tents to save for the renovation of the store, to buy new enclosures and new plants to put in there. So to increase our diversity, our offerings, that kind of thing. 
So I think overall COVID was a good thing for us, but we also lost the trade shows and we actually did rely pretty heavily on those trade shows. If you guys didn't know, we do a lot of the Repticons in the Southeast. Um, and, you know, Repticon is so-so. I have conflicting conflicting feelings about Repticon. I'll keep it at that. But we did like those because it gave me an opportunity to teach where if you guys didn't know, I right now I fully retired from being a professor and instructor i'm done with that so i'm doing frog daddy full-time so i don't really get to don't really get to teach as much so those trade shows you get new people walking up to the booth very interested or not so much and you get to tell them about these brightly colored frogs on your table 90 percent of them are like oh my god they're poisonous you know and then you kind of start from there saying that well you know they're not poisonous in captivity because xyz the you know, there's no alkaloid transmission because there's no native diet. So it, it it was cool to have those and we lost those. So that kind of suffered. And that was about a quarter of our income at the time. So at first it was really scary, you know, before the online sales picked up. But overall, COVID was actually pretty good for us in a way. <laughs> That is an interesting dynamic when you think about it, the comparison between a live interaction with another person at an expo as opposed to a semi-anonymous purchase that you make online. And I mean, you're real big with customer service. I know that from you know personal experience with you, but I mean, I remember going to an expo and sometimes you can get a person who really wants to talk and explain what's going on with that particular species of locale. And then online, you kind of just click a button you order your frog, you order your plant, whatever, and then you don't have that same interaction. I mean, is there a preference you have for like one or the other? I mean, I know you, you kind of elaborated it on a little bit, but are you looking to avoid the trade shows in favor of the online or, or vice versa? Or like what's like what kind of customer experience do you think that is like the best for a prospective dark frogger? I mean, that's a... You always give me the hardest questions. Sorry. <laughs> I, no, no, I think it's good. It's a good talking point. I think it can go both ways. I really, like I said before, I really do enjoy personal interaction. I also know the constraints of personal interaction. You get two people that like to talk, me and say potential customer X, our chatterboxes, and we end up chattering about dart frog locales for 40 minutes out of the trade show. And I'm um but it's a great connection and i might have made a long-term friend um you know a lot of my friendships have started not even just at trade shows but just people that are very interested in what we're doing uh even even have become employees so i never discount personal interactions i think that personal interactions are the soul of my business I really do. Even though I just contradicted myself by saying we're an online backbone, I like the customer relations and the customer experience because I like teaching. I, I think it really does stem back to my first love of, of learning and teaching uh, because I feel like we all are always learning. We all make mistakes. We're all growing together. And I kind of, that's kind of my outlook on life. So as much as I am a recluse and I don't 
particularly love interaction all the time. You know, I do like customers and I don't know, there's a distinguished, there's a distinguishing value in, in a customer coming in and being like, what is that? And I get to, you know, tell them all about that. Anything they want to know, I can probably give them something, you know, which is exciting. I, I love being in that position. Now, in terms of in terms of what's important, you know, it's e-commerce is the future. The sales, I mean, you're not going to be able to scale personal interactions monetarily forever. There's only so many people you can get in touch with personally, right? So the internet is a powerful tool, as we all know, and e-commerce is the way of the world. People are online, they're on Amazon, they're on Google, they're searching for things, they're buying stuff, they're getting it shipped to them at their convenience. It's easy, it's impersonal. It's mainly it's the ease of use. The you don't have to get up, get dressed, put makeup on, go out, you know, there's none of that. Whereas if you come here, you know, I mean, maybe you're not gonna put makeup on for Frog Daddy, but you're certainly, you know, gonna have to drive there. So I feel like, you know, there's people in California that order from me. They're never going to come to my shop. I'm never going to see them at a trade show. So I like merging both. And that's kind of why I opened the store back up. Because I know there's customers in California and Nevada and Idaho that I really enjoy talking to. And I really enjoy shipping product to. They enjoy the customer experience. But it's online. And that's okay. But I know I'm never going to meet them in person, you know, and that's okay too. So I like having both. And I think that's kind of why I can't answer that question in that way. I view both as powerful tools to move my business forward and, and show these frogs off, you know, to everybody. That's the only way we can do that. So before the internet, we couldn't do that. You know, there wasn't, I mean, you would never be able to search anything. I mean, you wouldn't be able to go to XYZ Reptile Shop because you're on the other side of the country. There's no way for you to even know it exists. It's a different day and age, and it's going to keep going that direction. So I think we all need to be conscious of that and share information and share data and, you know, share experiences through the online sector. I remember those days, the, the dark ages before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely do. I'm 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 a little little immature for that, but I I had a few years before it kicked off there. Okay, I remember rotary phones. Hey, my grandma had one of those. Really? Oh, I awesome. did too. Yeah, I mean they were cool. They're connected to the wall with the low cord, and you just couldn't couldn't really go anywhere in your house with it. I had to stay where everybody was listening to your conversation. Luckily, I was I was at the age where we had a wireless for my first girlfriend, sneak the phone into my uh, bedroom, talk for, for four hours, thought it was the coolest shit ever. Um, and then your mom would be on the bottom phone listening to the whole thing anyway. So you never know. Yeah. That was the, that but, was, yeah. that was the original privacy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> virus protection, privacy. See, I was there kind of. <laughs> yeah. It was the old days for sure. I, I do want to ask though, because we, we talked briefly beforehand about, you do have some 
somewhat of a different experience if you visit the storefront, meaning I think you're going to offer some more species and some things that aren't going to be available online. You, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, we are working with a few affiliate breeders that all of which I know personally. Um, I'm not big. If anybody knows me, they know I'm not big on many imports or uh, just random wild caught frogs from XYZ dude, you know, down the road. Uh, I have to know who we're getting animals from, if they're quality breeders, if they do captive breeding, that kind of thing. But yeah, to have a successful store, um, I did notice from last year, you know, we launched the store. It, it was, you know, it was a thing. I, I, it's a hard press to say it was a store, but it was. Um, but we only really had dart frogs. We had a few other frogs. And I mean, I, I think we had Borneo-eared frogs and some reed frogs, and that was it. So mainly all dart frogs. People get very intimidated by dart frogs. Um, for some reason, they think they are the hardest thing in the world. When in reality, all those other frogs are actually harder to breed, harder to keep. You got to change the water bowls, the white tree frogs all, all the time. Pac-Man's, you got to change the substrate. Dart frogs are simple, man. So people get freaked out. They come in the store. They're like, oh, my God, this store doesn't really have much for me. You know, I'm into snakes. Or I'm into geckos. I'm a, you know, I'm a salamander person, whatever. I had all those experiences last year. So this year, I was like, okay, we're going to invest some money in the store and we're going to reopen it. But it's going to be crazy. It's going to be much bigger. It's going to be better. We're going to have stuff for everybody. You know, I'm wanting to be more inclusive. So, I mean, I have whites. I have Pac-Mans now. I have reed frogs. I have tons of different micro geckos. Um, I have plans to get crested geckos, ball pythons, a lot of stuff. But I am not going to sell that stuff online. Um, and you and I talked a little bit before this about me staying focused um, and the dangers of mission creep. I want Frog Daddy to be about frogs mainly and mainly dart frogs. Right. But, you know, I will probably offer Pac-Man's online at some point. I will probably offer Vietnamese mossy frogs because I have a trio for myself. They're my pets. But it turns out it's a 1.2. All I got to do is put them through a seasonal cycle throw them in a brain chamber and out they go. So I will do that eventually. Um, but I am not going to sell ball pythons online. Uh, there's, first of all, there's no reason for me to do that other than getting extra money. And I really don't care to do that. There are a ton of good, uh, high quality ball python breeders. In my area, I don't need to attract business from them especially if I'm getting stuff from them, I'm going to be like, you know, if they come in the store and purchase my animal that I got from affiliate breeder XYZ, that's fine. Give them the proper care. Say, Hey, if you need anything, contact me. I can get you in touch with a specialist immediately. That's kind of how I'm going to put it, you know, because I'm, I don't specialize in ball pythons. I've never bred ball pythons. I don't know everything about ball pythons. So guess what? I'm not the expert. I will get you in touch with the specialist. Now, if I'm selling this stuff online, it kind of becomes harder. Um, because in person, I get to tell people about the whole situation. A lot of pet store owners are not going to tell you any of that. They're going to pretend that they're experts on everything. They're going to move to sell the animal. 
for, you know, because they need money and, and out you go. And your XYZ customer. Now, I'm not saying every pet store owner is like that because I believe a lot of them aren't. But I have seen a lot of them that are. And I am not trying to be that way. I want Frog Daddy to be in a more of an immersion experience. You get the breeding facility is open. People get to walk through the whole thing and see all of our breeders, all the parents for all their all their dart frogs, all the tanks, how we set them up. I like that. Now for ball pythons, we can't do that. For crested geckos, I can't really do that. I have a few, but not many. So I think online, we're just going to stay with what we do, with what I breed. So if I start breeding Pac-Mans, if I start breeding mossies or you know bird poop frogs, I will put them online for sale. If not, I'm just going to sell them in the store as a pet store owner. Um, and so that's kind of where I draw the line there. But I have to be inclusive for people to want to come to this store. So I got feeders. I got pinkies to quails in the store, you know, so that's kind of cool. I have a lot of frozen feeders for, for snake people. Um, I've got all sorts of Zoomed products. I have coconut husk, which I never use and coconut products, but they're decent for temporary builds for like Pac-Mans and things like that. So I have more products for more people and more animals for more people. But I'm not going to pretend like I'm some specialist and sell them online and have a customer come ask me, you know, oh, I got this snake from you. You know, I need all this help. And then immediately I've got to pretend like I'm some kind of expert, contact my affiliate breeder, get all this information, email them back quickly. You know, it's like, I just, I'm not going to pretend I'm somebody I'm not. So I feel like Frog Daddy needs to be centrally focused on frogs and poison dart frogs at that. To me, it would seem easier and more straightforward to stay that kind of focus online because it's kind of like, uh, I guess, like a shotgun effect. You're putting your product out there into a very, very wide, really like a nation. I don't know if you ship internationally or not, but essentially like a nationwide, you know, everyone who is in into dart frogs or frogs, et cetera, within the country can go to your website. Whereas like with a local store, it's kind of contingent upon the, the community because I mean, how I, there's where I live, there's three herp stores. The farthest one is about 45 minutes away. And it's a hike. It's a hike for me. So if I'm going out there, I mean, I might go out there for feeders, but it's like the animals are what gets you in the door, but the feeders are what pays the bills. And every sure. one of the owners that I've spoken to basically said, look, I put a beautiful snake in an enclosure people come in they look at it they buy some dry goods they'll buy feeders they'll buy you know pinkies crickets etc whatever that's what pays the bills in fact one guy actually really really lowered his animal inventory almost like to like just bare bones nothing because he was making all of his money off of selling feeders yeah because you got to take care of all the animals in your shop and hopefully everybody's doing a good job but i mean i'll tell you i have now I mean, I'll just walk over there right now because I, I don't even remember how many things I have in there now. But so, I mean, it looks like I've got 12, 20. So, yeah, I have like 22 enclosures filled with animals, you know, so I only had eight before. And I already noticed a significant difference in the amount of time it's taking me to care for all those. And that doesn't even count all the Pac-Mans and Deli Rounds, you know. So I know that 
as I increase the diversity, I'm also going to have to increase dramatically the number of animals I have just by default. If I get even one ball python and one crested gecko and three and a gargoyle and this and that, all of a sudden I have five, 10, 15 more animals in the shop, a bearded dragon. All of a sudden you're really, I mean, you know, you really have to pick your poison there with, okay, I have a lot of stuff or, okay, I'm, I'm more focused on these animals. Here's a few other animals that are cool and popular, but this is what we do. And that, that, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to have a couple snakes, a couple lizards, a couple this, a couple that, but that's it. I'm not going to have 10 different types of bearded dragons. There's just no point. They're not going to sell. They're not going to pay the bills. The feeders are paying the bills. That's exactly right. So people, a lot of people at the grand reopening, they just bought crickets and dubias and, and, and some people actually bought, you know, pinkies and mice, which was great because I had never had those before. And those are, those are good because those snake people need somewhere to go and really cold blooded and bizarre is 40 minutes from here in inner city, Charlotte. So you have to deal with all that traffic. I'm also cheaper than they are, which I'm not trying to be not, that's not a jab at them. I'm just saying that it's helpful to have a store out here for these people in my local area, you know, to come and get feeders when they originally had to go all the way into the city just to get a pinky or something, you know, like that's, that's not convenient. So I'm trying to be a convenience. Whereas having 15 different types of animals, you know, that can really get you in trouble in terms of hourly labor, taking care of bearded dragons or something like that. Like they need a lot of space, a lot of attention, that kind of thing. So we are really trying to stay focused here, both online and in store. I do want to get into the logistics of labor and whatnot. I kind of want to get into everything in terms of the business model. But first, I'm curious about location and are you are you on a main drag where you are? I don't remember exactly where your location was. Like where like what? How important is placement in a store like this? Oh, it's very important, and unfortunately, we are more of a destination location than anything. They're kind of a main drag, and I mean main drag is that's a loose term anyway. But I mean like really loosen that up. There's a there's Dallas Cherryville Highway, which kind of runs. Um, kind of runs next to our store. Then you have to turn left, and then you turn left into our store. So it's so people will not pass it on their way to work or whatever. Now, if we were just literally three warehouses down, we would be on the corner of that highway. That would be great. But of course, you get what's available. The warehouse on the corner is in a complete dump. And it wasn't even for sale when we were looking, so it didn't matter. Um, so, yeah, it it's hard. We are getting a temporary off-site, not a temporary, I'm sorry, I misspoke. We are getting a permanent off-site sign that has a convenient arrow on it that shows you where Frog Daddy is and what Frog Daddy is. So it will say, like, you know, exotic pet shop, terrarium, and nursery supply store. To your left, you know, and then people will be like, hmm, what the hell is that? And they're going to go there. That will dramatically help us because a lot of people do travel on that road. 
now a major highway like highway 85 that honestly it's only about 10 minutes from my location so it is kind of sort of okay but like i'm gonna use cold-blooded and bizarre again because it's a great example they are on central ave in charlotte you're not gonna beat that they literally get walk-ins all day long it is a prime spot for a retail store we are not in a prime spot for a retail store. So yes, will we grow in popularity over time? Absolutely. Are we going to get anywhere near the traffic cold butter gets in the store? We may never get that kind of traffic just because we can't. But again, that's why online backbone kind of thing. If we if the store fails completely, the business will still be okay. So that the store is really just for having another immersion experience for me it's it's awesome because i get to meet people talk to people have kids in here that are super into it like i was when i was a kid except they actually get to see them which i'm jealous of but at least i get to give back in that way (laughs) so it's pretty awesome you know i i love that so i would take that over the alternative any day if we had constant walk-ins First of all, I couldn't afford the space in Charlotte. We have 10,000 square feet. If you had 10,000 square feet on Central Ave, you'd, you'd have to be a millionaire. Easy. I mean, that that's just... it. The, the land is so expensive. Whereas here, the land is too cheap. So you, you really couldn't have Frog Daddy in there unless we did a pilot store, which we have talked about. But logistically, we're just not there yet. I, I don't... No offense to anybody that listens, but I don't trust anybody enough to run a store with with our name on it, you know, and handle money and transactions and really talk to customers in that way. Um, so we're just going to be one location in the foreseeable future. Can you kind of give us a, I don't want to say virtual because you can't really see us, but can you kind of walk us through the storefront if you're if you're walking up to the store what do you see what what happens when you go inside and you mentioned that people can go through and examine the breeding facility that you have like if let's just say that i showed up and i walked in like what what would i see kind of give us a a, like a virtual tour of what we could expect inside the facility yeah so actually the space layout is pretty awesome i'm not gonna lie i don't know if it was predestination or what but when you enter the front door, which is the black door, says entrance now, go figure, finally put that up. <laughs> so you get to go to the right door because there's three doors to my building. Um, people are always going in the wrong ones. But anyway, you would go to the front door. As soon as you open the door, um, you can basically, we keep the door to the breeding facility open. So you can actually see right down the line, all the way to the false wall in the back. So this is like 5,000 square feet of visual right when you walk in the door. You can see the full line of tanks, which is super nice. So immediately when people walk in, they're like, holy shit. You know, they get to see the main line of tanks, which I think is very important. So it's great that it's like that. You walk a few steps in and you're in the store first. Um, To your left is like the display tanks, the checkout counter, the Repashi products, the t-shirts, kind of the merch section. And like, whoa, you know, look at all this cool stuff. 
our 360 custom build is there. It's 360 gallons. Um, it's a six by four by two, I think. Someone will correct me on the math and be like, you were dumb because you didn't know. But it's something like that. Um, and then we have a 36 by 36 with the uh, blue hysteronica in there. Um, to your right, and this is all open layout, so it's really cool. Um, to your right is like all the dry goods. So you have your leaf litter first. And you have all your Zoomed products. I'm walking through it right now. Um, then you have your lighting, your seed pods, which are all displayed out pretty cool. And I'll post pictures too today. I really need to get some anyway. Um, and all the wood products. And we actually kind of focused on the wood products being like a draw-in on the store. So we have an entire wall just full of shelves with wood products. They're backlit uh display you know and they're not anything fancy but it's still awesome to see you know huge pieces of manzanita and talking three feet long just really cool pieces that i've acquired um then you go through this door and i wanted to make it really cool and it's like into the jungle and it's like through this door and it's sectioned off from it's in the breeding facility room Right. So we're out of the main office area that was the office area in the previous tenants. Um, so we're still in the store. Though. Um, the wall of tanks is to our left, but you can't see it because it's blocked off by Vivo Suns, which hold all of our plants for the store. So there are three grow tents and you get to walk in. One of them is rare plants. So anything over $15 value up to you know a thousand bucks is in that tent is in that tent then you have your you know you know your common tropicals so things if you're going to build a tank with them you know you can pick three for 12 kind of deal people can kind of pick and pull what they want and it's cheap and then we have a whole tent just for bromeliads because i'm a huge fan of bromeliads um i mean my partner and i are working on about 150 types of brahms um don't know where i would ever put that many so don't get at me if you look at the website and there's like 40 types don't get mad i really don't know how we're gonna do this um but i really like bromeliads so we're really focusing on that so there's a whole tent for that and then there's tanks so there's like a line there's a whole section for enclosures and there's a table so people can pick out their enclosure go to the table, they can start building a tank right there. They can pick out the animal wall, which has cork on top of it. Um, we have a living wall. So on the ceiling, we have like a drop ceiling. We have plants that hang down. Um, it's just common epipremnums or pothos for people that don't want to do the true scientific names. Um, but it's still cool, you know. And then we have our freezer for frozen food. So I would definitely, that's a lot very verbose, very hard to follow. Um, we have ice pods in there and some other stuff. Pictures are worth a thousand words with this. Um, so I'll definitely have to take some pictures, update Google and update the website with new pictures. So I will get on to that. Yeah. You um, gotta, you gotta send me pictures. Cause I'm trying to like take all this oh, in. Like, just, like after what you said about just walking in, I'm already like overwhelmed. Oh God. It's, it's crazy. Cause it's like, what we've done is we've sectioned off the building. We've built walls, we've destroyed walls, we've made false walls, 
and it's pretty cool. We use the tents to block off partitions. Um, so, I mean, we have our whole store in the front to the side. It, it makes an L shape, if that helps. You walk in the front door and there's an L shape. That's the store. And then there's the big breeding facility. And then there's a false wall that divides, literally divides the building in half. And on the other half of that is shipping and manufacturing, which is the other 5,000 square feet. So the store is about 1,500 square feet. The breeding facility is about 3,500. And shipping and manufacturing is about 5,000. Just to put it into perspective for you. Are you keeping the frogs in, I guess you would call it like a display style type of vivariums? Because I know some people who breed like to keep their frogs in a, a lot more like Spartan conditions. But how are you setting them up since it's visible to the general public? I am an exhibit dude. Man, if I could have everything in a 360 gallon by itself, I would. So you can bet. We are doing so. Remember when I told you in the beginning that max capacity is 455? That's 455 18, 18, 24s. So everything is in a fully planted 18, 18, 24 or larger vivarium. Um, that's the goal. Right now, I have a lot of 10 gallons still. I have a lot of 1824s. We have about 160 of them, but the rest are like 10 gallons or 1818s or 15 vertical conversions, 1218s. So we have a lot of mismatch stuff towards the back of the facility. But right when you walk in is like the two main walls of 1824s. So it's really cool. You know, I like symmetry too. So every tank that's not an 1824 is going to make its way out of this building at some point. That was um, that was the next word out of my mouth. The symmetry. I, I'm a big <laughs> stickler for that. I have, I have yeah. five eighteen by eighteen by twelve. It's yeah, it's eighteen wide by deep by twenty four high. I have five of them. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean by eighteen twenty four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Eighteen, eighteen, twenty four. Yeah. And I what I did was I took two of well, I, I four of them I, I paired off into two pairs, and what I did was I made the build so that it looked like the wood coming through one entered into the other. So oh, I yeah, I made cool. it so that it looked like it was a single vivarium, but with two sets of doors. Right. That right, was right. that was the goal that I went through. before. It came yeah. out pretty nice, actually. It was uh, I got some nice cork rounds, and I was able to position one on the the right and one on the left, so that it was going up on kind of an angle. And then plant placement, I actually used a single light over it, but I was happy with the result. But that's that's got to be pretty impressive to walk into a full warehouse full of display vivariums. For sure. It's, it's super cool. I mean, I, I I didn't ever want this to be like I told you, I mean, I like the immersion and I think that if people are going to be able to come in here and I'm using these vivariums as teaching tools, then they need to be done right. And they need to be done well. So, you know, not every one of them is like top the line fully planted like you know troy right he has all the, you know how you mentioned him in the first part troy and i are great friends um his vivariums are really nice you know i mean mine are pretty nice but they're also functional um so i think i meet in the middle there but it's not like i spent a month on each one you know and i think that's where the happy medium is for the company is where i can spend you know 
a solid a solid few days or or a week on a tank and i'll put it up and then i move on to the next one and i put that up and then you know and by hopefully a year from now i will have this place maxed out and people can come in and be like holy moly you know and i'll get signage done matt marcy shout out cloud forest design i'll get him to do all the labels again um so we'll have everything pretty nice at the end of the at the end of the line next year that's my goal for next year um that's the big thing so i really want people to walk in here and be like wow this is really really cool um because that's what captures people's attention and i know we talked about a lot of the conservation last time um and kind of what we can do with the general public to get them involved and i think excitement and the state of wonder or awe is very important to do that especially with young children you have to make them excited and have to have that state of wonder to get them to be like wow i really like these animals these are super cool what's going on with them what can we do and the next generation is who's going to do that you know that's when it's already a pressing time right now but next generation is really is in their hands i think i think with the science with the advancements i think the next generation of uh the next generation is really gonna really gonna push that so we have to make sure we're doing our part and i think that's a really big part of what i want to do at this facility is make it nice enough to get those people to do that now the next facility i have grandeur plans but we can get into that another time <laughs> Because that money is far, far away. <laughs> yeah, it's so. you need capital to keep the business. Uh, I, I yeah. was I was curious about branding though, because obviously you've set yourself apart as as a very distinct brand, Frog Daddy. You've got a great logo. You've got the business going. When it comes to selling products in store or online, are you branding them as just Frog Daddy products? Or I know that you mentioned that you sell some Zoomed products and some Rapashi products, so. Like, how do you, like, how does that go from being like a relatively, not a huge, but like a relatively small to medium sized online business to getting approached from reps from say like Rapashi or Zoomad who come out and say, well, we want you to sell our products in your store. Like how, how does that work out in terms of like branding your own products while also carrying merchandise from other vendors? Um, I think people come to expect other products to be at a pet store i think it's familiarity i think that's what draws people in they see zoomed and they're like oh my god zoomed i've seen them before you know and that's fine i don't honest to god if you're asking if it detracts from my brand i don't think so i kind of think of it as the opposite especially with like rapashi i regard alan and his company to be pretty top of the line i know we've talked about rapashi products and how I, you know, I'm kind of partial to them. I think it strengthens my brand for me to offer other brands that are also strong brands. I don't know if that makes sense. It made sense in my head, but when I said it, I'm not sure. But um, another thing is my, my, this is this really sad part. I'm terrible at graphic design. I'm going to let you know. And my graphic designer, who just happens to be Matt Marcy at Cloud Forest, he is too busy to do product labels for me so a lot of my products actually don't have my brand on them 
um, they'll say Frog Daddy Fruit Fly Media. And I mean, if anybody's gotten stuff in them in their packages, the the best thing you've gotten is sea grape leaves. And they don't even say like me, you know, they don't even have my logo on them or anything. So actually with branding using products, I'm very weak at it. Um, and that's something that has to change soon because a lot of people are asking me about wholesale. I, and I've gotten that question a million times because people are interested in carrying our line, but I'm like, dude, there's really no line if there's no product label and there's no, you know, I mean, you look at Josh's frogs, you get Josh's frogs products. They all have, you know, a color scheme or, you know, he's got all the characters on his springtail food. I've got none of that. So it is definitely a hot topic. I'm trying to get Josh Ferris on it. He's actually waiting for me. He is on top of it. I'm the one that's not. He is going to start doing some of our stuff, which I'm very excited for. Um, I wear all of his shirts. I think he's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, having other brands in my store, I think right now, especially with when I don't have branding per se, is actually helping, not hurting. Yeah, I'm always curious about, like, all right, my, my wife was trained as a graphic designer. And a lot of times, like, when I tell her what I wanted to do for my logo, et cetera, she just tells me, she goes, that's a terrible idea. And I kind of see why after the fact. But even a bad logo can still be good for your product if people associate it with a quality product or, or vice versa. I mean, I've seen people buy things just based on the logo. And I've seen people buy things with a bad logo just because of the company. So like from my end, I mean, I've, I've, I've established my logo for my pot, which is basically nothing, but I've established my logo and I've reached the point where it's like, I don't want to change it, but I know that the more I get that out there, the more I will get listeners to the podcast or, I mean, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of putting out some merchandise and by that, I mean, probably stickers, maybe t-shirts, stuff like that. Really just really more for just like listeners to um you know just to show they support the show but it's amazing how much like a little bit of branding can really influence oh, the direction yeah. of the business yep and we are really missing that and that's been something that's been a hot topic for me for the last four months but actually creating it, it's not even creating it creating it's not the problem it's actually enacting it so if i put a sticker logo of the brand. So let's say I got my substrate done and it's a rectangular sticker. Let's say it's a stick on, not a print on or laser on. Say it's a stick on and it's, you know, five inches by eight inches. Now, if I had to do that a thousand times, it would cost almost a thousand dollars for those labels. It's really a money constraint. Branding costs a lot. Like if you're using stick, if you don't have like some kind of, you know, label machinery. I don't know any cost-effective way to do all of my products at once. I mean, I calculated it out, and every time I, every time I did, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is going to cost thousands of dollars just to get my brand on there." And so, it's not that I didn't have money to do it. It's just that where we are right now, we're doing okay to where I didn't think it was as important. But right at this current juncture. That's kind of my next task because I think we are at that point where I do need to invest in branding, where I need to get wholesale contracts and get my 
stuff in other people's pet stores because every, I mean, not everybody, sorry, wrong word. People, some people want my products um, in their store and they've been using my products for years and, you know, they, they support the company and it would be great. You know, I have a guy that sells all my substrates at Repticons. Now I have to sell against him at some of them, but he also goes to like the Tennessee shows and all these other shows. And my substrates have frog daddy on them, at least in writing, <laughs> which is helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, branding has to become a focus in the next part of my business because it is super powerful, especially with a good logo. And I really do stand by our logo. I think it's great, but of course I'm going to be biased as hell because <laughs> I made it. So <laughs> no, I, I, I like it. I think it's a good logo. It's got a good color scheme. It's just, I mean, it's like, um, if you've ever seen that movie, was it Tommy boy with, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when he goes on that little rant about the logo being on the box. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. But the, the premise was another company was coming in to buy Chris Farley's dad's company so that they could exploit the name. They could exploit the logo to sell the product, which they weren't even going to make in their factories anyway. So if you got a good product, you're selling the image of the product and that's, that's the logo, the branding, whatever it is. And that can go a long way because I know of certain vendors who have really heavily branded their product. And in my opinion, that product isn't necessarily that great, but because of the branding, it's a success. I mean, I'm not saying yes. that about your product or anything like that. I'm just saying that it can make a very, very big difference even for a product that is inferior. Correct. I definitely agree with that. I definitely do. So, What's going on in the frog room now? You mentioned before about a lot of new locales and species that you're working with. Can you give us, I mean, I don't expect you to name all of them, but can you give us maybe some of the, some of the newer species or locales that you're working with now? Sure. Yeah. I finally got a, a green and teal pair of Vicente. Ufaga Vicente, which I've really been looking for. I mean, I mean, green, green, not just like the blue teal. I'm talking like green. And that was very exciting because I've been looking for green, green Vicente for a long time. Now, is that specifically a locale? No, it's the color, but it's exciting to me because I have a blue and teal pair. I have my reds. And then, of course, now I have green. So I'm I'm a completionist. So congrats. You know, that's good for me. Um, another thing I got, uh, were aquacate. I got a proven pair of aquacate off a guy and I traded him aeroids and I was like, listen, dude, I've been searching for aquacate pair for like two years. I don't really care what you take. Just give me the frogs. <laughs> so we, we made a really good trade and I am super stoked. They just laid the other day. So I will finally have, that's one of my favorite Pamilio. They're like a reddish purple color. They're, they're as close to purple as you can get, so I'm stoked about that. Um, other than that, I've really just been bolstering my current pairs. Um, I've gotten a lot more pairs of like Punta Laurel, uh, some very popular things like Gold Dust, Bastimento, uh, Varadero Imitators. I really tried to look at what people like. Um, I also just got like Punta Clara from Sean. Those are really cool. I actually literally just picked those up tonight. Um, Loma Azul. So just, just some stuff that I really hadn't 
had before, but also things that I've had that I just didn't have enough of. Um, and I still don't, which is not a bad problem. But, you know, I mean, I never have enough Drago in stock and stuff like that. I got a really, really blue pair of Rio Colubre. So I only had dark pairs and an intermediate pair. So now I have some really blue ones. So, I mean, if you're talking about totally different, I mean, I, it's hard to count those as totally different, I guess. So maybe I was kind of lying with that. <laughs> but, you know, it's I, I got a pair of Oncos. I got another pair of Chromes. Um, so, I don't know. I counted the green Vicente as a different type. But, you know we can go as far as you want with different types. I mean, are we talking morphs? Are we talking locales? Are we talking species? Um, so yeah, it was kind of like that thing, but those are, those are other ones that I've gotten so far. What about keeping up with demand? Like which, which species are the big sellers and like, do you have a hard time keeping up with like a certain demand for a particular species or locale? I honestly have a hard time keeping up with demand for any frogs except Azurius. Nobody wants to buy my Azurius. I don't know why. <laughs> I have the cheapest price ever. Um, I think Azurius are just saturated in the market right now. Same with Coast Rican Green and Blacks. I have s literally like 60 Coast Rican Green and Blacks right now, and I really don't know what I'm going to do with them all. Um, but in terms of like, geez, demand for Ufaga, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just don't have many in stock at all. I have some Rambala left and some Bastimentos, but that's because I have six pairs of Rambala and seven pairs of Basti. So that's the only reason I have them. I think Drago um, are some of the most highly desired because they're super cool, but they're also not so expensive that they're going to like break the bank. So I think they're a nice intermediate buy for people that have like you know, they got their first pair of Basties or, you know, their first pair of blue jeans or something. Now they're like, oh, okay, I think Pamilio are pretty cool or at least Ufaga are pretty cool. I'm going to try something new. And so they go for like Drago because they're so different. And I mean, I just got a fifth pair. So, but I've done, I've done work. I've done calculations in the last, um, in the last three weeks, actually, I sat down with some numbers and some analytical tools. And it would take me about eight pairs, eight proven pairs to hit market, hit the market saturation. Because like I said, I'm at seven pairs of Bastimentos. And I keep those in stock for about a week or two tops. So if I had eight pairs producing actively off and on, then I could probably keep up with demand for whatever frog it may be. How many sales of a particular like let's just let's just pick one locale let's we'll say um which any one of the last two that you mentioned let's just say that you have a demand for those which is pretty consistent like how many of those froglets are you selling a year would we say for a, one particular locale that you work with i mean i'm at least selling 30 to 40 basties a year probably i mean at least i actually haven't you see, the problem is I keep switching web hosts, so my analytical data goes to poop, um, and that doesn't. It also doesn't count shows and other things. I will have more powerful analytical tools very soon. 
um, as soon as I get some of my more important things done with the books uh, and balancing stuff, and I won't get into that, but the um, the analytical tools I will be using actually link to my store in shop and it links to my online store and it puts it all in one place. So I'll actually be able to see, okay, I sold this here. I sold this there and the shows too. It follows me to the show. It's super awesome. And so I'll be able to get analytics like that. But to answer your question, I am, I mean, cause I don't have a surplus and I know I pull, you know, I pull at least five to six a week and you know, whatever makes it, makes it whatever I hold back, I hold back. It's gotta be at least 40 a year. So you, you, you know, have a decent level of production. Um, but it's not crazy. It's not like tanks, you know, tanks can give me 40 in a week or two weeks, you know, but it's just like tanks are tanks. So <laughs> you sell them or you don't. <laughs> I always just wonder because by and large, most frogs are explosive breeders, with the exception of dart frogs, because they produce relatively small spawn. A, a clutch of 20 isn't gigantic compared to oh, no. like an no, American no. toad, which drops thousands, or a white street frog. So I can see why certain other dart frog businesses add other frogs, because you can, like white street frogs are going to be your bread and butter. Because you can knock out thousands of tadpoles in a season and they're just going to sell like crazy. Because, I mean, to me, that seems to be the most popular tree frog species, where, where at least where I am. So I'm always curious if you're just dealing, I mean, I know you're, you're venturing to other species now, but if you're just dealing primarily with dart frogs on online, like how many frogs do you are you actually selling a year, meaning like how many people out there that are actually looking to get into the hobby or expand their collection. It's really just for my own personal curiosity, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's not as crazy as you'd think. And I mean, I don't think that our facility with all that we have, I really don't produce as many frogs as I should. And I always think that that's kind of a time constraint I, I'm not going to lie. Like I haven't even pulled eggs in three weeks. I've been way too busy with like the grand reopening to go around and pull from a hundred enclosures. Like it just takes too long. So I do think like if we focused really hard on frog production and we have ideas for it, my buddy Kyle Martin and I are brainstorming tadpole layouts to do mass feedings and all a central water system you know we're thinking about like some tower system to make but anyway it's like that kind of stuff efficiency i just don't have it my facility doesn't have efficiency to where i'm like checking i'm i'm getting every pamilio baby i'm getting every egg of my robertus or my azurius i'm just not i'm not doing it because to your point we are selling frogs but there aren't you know they're not the main thing that keeps the business going i mean i have i have hundreds of sales a year it's in the hundreds for frogs not even counting tadpoles it's hundreds of sales but it's not like thousands of sales you know and i have thousands of sales but they're not frogs 
their plants, their all the dry goods, uh, fear items, fruit flies. Oh my God, fruit flies! Sell so many fruit flies. You know, so it's it's everything you think. We're producing a good number of frogs. I have a pretty good customer base for them, but could it be better? Yeah. If I had stock, would I get more sales? Yeah. But it's just like, am I really going to spend 12 extra hours a week pulling tank eggs? And I mean, the answer should be yes, but right now it's no, I don't have the manpower because of employee constraints um, and, and budget constraints. Honestly, it's just not where it's not what makes us money. Every time you pull an egg, you've got to wait at least five months to sell that frog. I don't sell frogs anymore that are below two months or below, uh, below three months. Excuse me. Three months is kind of my, my starting point now. Um, even then, I mean, Ufaga, God, I've, I usually hold those on onto those for four months from when I pull them. It's just, it's, it's slow. That's why a lot of us sell tadpoles now. Business-wise, it's, it's, I pull, I pull a tadpole, I wait two weeks, I can sell that for half the price. Well, that, that eliminated five months of labor for me on that frog. That's, that's huge. Now you do that across the entire frog room and you're saving hundreds of man hours. So that's why people sell tadpoles now. Um, is it a good thing for the industry? I'm not sure. Does it put constraints on the people that want froglets? Absolutely. I got customers that are mad at me because they're like, well, you haven't had this frog in stock for eight months. I've been waiting a whole year for Arena Blanca. And I'm like, well, sorry. I sell tadpoles and I've also had very unfortunate luck lately. So, you know, it's like I can't force the frogs to breed. I can't, I can't manage to pull everything from every tank. I'm most concerned about keeping my adults healthy. And my breeders healthy. As long as they're healthy, I know down the road, a year from now, I'm going to have enough manpower to be very consistent. We're going to have better systems in place. We're going to have multiple employees. I want one employee just for eggs and husbandry, like just to check eggs and, and to deal with like tadpoles and froglets. It is seriously there to where you can spend 20 hours a week on that very easily. But I just don't have the money to hire a person to work an extra 20 hours a week doing that and then 20 hours a week to feed and then 40 hours a week for chipping and manufacturing 40 hours to do horticultural work and 20 hours for marketing it's like people don't understand this i mean and it might just be me shit other businesses might be killing it but it's there are constraints you know there's not enough money to employ six people for this. It's just the money's not there. So, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you about was we often talk about opening. I mean, look, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted, my dream was to open up my own reptile store. That was my dream. And then as I older, I got, the more I realized that, for, I mean, for me, it wasn't a realistic thing, but there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into owning your own business. And the human resources element of that is kind of like the elephant in the room that no one really wants to admit because, yeah, it might be great to work in this type of environment, but the amount of work that goes into it, especially by a sole proprietor like you, I mean, it's basically you own 100% of the business. 
but you still have to employ people that need to show up every day, get paid, get if you offer benefits or whatever it is. There's there's labor laws, et cetera. There's all that stuff that goes into it. And that is a really, really big part of owning the business. Because if you don't have the right people working for you, then the business isn't going to do well. Because it's, I mean, look, at the end of the day, they go home. You don't. You know what I mean? If, if there's an issue with the books, you're there looking at it. If there's a power outage, you're the one coming up there in the middle of the night. It's It's not the other way around. So when it comes to employing people and looking for people, what kind of employee do you look for to get into this type of a situation? Do you look for someone who's going to have experience or someone you can train? I'm like, what are your, what are your thoughts on the type of employees that you want to get to grow your business? Um, it's tough. I mean, I like many other businesses. I mean, you've seen all the now hiring signs, right? You know, people, there's, they're everybody's hiring right now. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to find good employees. It's hard to find employees that are passionate about what they do, but also are going to work well. Because when you get into this environment here, specifically frog daddy, like there's all this cool stuff around you. I mean, I think it is. Heaven forbid any any people that apply for the job probably think the same. So we'll, we'll just we'll just pretend that's a universal statement. There's all these cool frogs, and like it's great to be here and like take a facility tour and like look at all the plants and be like, wow, this is so awesome. But then it's like you know you you have to work like you got to go mix that dirt in the back, um, you know you got to pack all these orders, and it takes the it takes like the glory out of it, I guess not the right word, but it it's, it's harder than it looks. And I think people that come in and apply for the jobs, like the husbandry positions or even the like shipping and manufacturing positions, they don't really know what they're getting into. Even if your job description is really specific and you can ask any of the other, I mean like buddy Johnson, at DVD pets, he's talked to me about it. He's like, man, you know, our employee turnaround is so high for some of these departments because it is so hard and the pay is just what it is because it's the reptile industry can be very profitable. So can dart frogs. I mean, not to derail, but what I try and tell people, a lot of people are like, oh my God, you're living the dream. This is my goal. Like, this is everything I want to do. And I'm like, dude, honestly, I sometimes it is so hard to do this job that you just break down and cry at night or you don't sleep. So you're just up all night or whatever, but it's just like, it's nothing like working a normal nine to five being your own boss and being your, you know, having employees. It is like for the, for the frogs. I mean, it's crazy. So it's hard. And I tell them, you know, the golden area is like 20 to 30 tanks out of your house breeding like higher end frog. Freaking awesome. Because A, you get to enjoy the frogs every day. B, you get to make some freaking profits. And C, you have no overhead. As soon as you turn it into a full-fledged business, oh, now you have workers comp. Oh, now you have payroll taxes. Oh, now you have 
uh, two electricity bills and two rents or two mortgages or whatever it is. Now you have all this overhead. You have to pay salaries. You have to do all this stuff. Feeding. Oh, my God. We order thousands of cups. I mean, the fruit fly media. I mean, God, how many pounds of fruit fly media do I make every day? It's just like it's it scales, but it's kind of scary, you know. And this is my paycheck. This is what I take home, which is pretty much nothing, by the way. So, I mean, you sink it back into the business because that's your baby. So you got to do what you got to do. You got to take care of your people first. But on the employee side, to get back to it, on the employee side of it, I look for people that are that are excited to do it. But also, I'm really cautious. I look for people with good work ethic that have held jobs for long periods of time. Now, jobs that are like labor-intensive jobs. If they're doing shipping and manufacturing, I look for like consistency of work for at least a year or two. Where did they work? Was that a very difficult job? Was that easy? What did they actually do? Was it like backbreaking labor or was it sitting in a chair? You know, you have to make deductions as an employer, but you also have to find that balance of a person that is actually passionate about what they're doing. Because if you have employees here that are working nine to five and they're not happy about what they're doing and they don't really care about frogs, they're definitely not going to go the extra mile for them. And we need employees to go the extra mile with this industry. You really can't just hire Joe Schmo off the block to do this stuff. It is actually really technical. The fruit fly media stuff, it's, it's precision. There's an exact formula I have. Got to follow it. Substrate, got to follow it. The dart frogs, you got to know how much to miss. When is, when is too much? When's not enough? How's the temperature? You know, when do I need to replace leaf litter? These things compound on each other. And actually the knowledge that it takes to run this kind of business is freaking crazy. Then you've got all your plants, you've got your logistics. And so the employees I hire are good for what they do, but I'm also kind of limited because I haven't seen, like I put out an application probably six months ago and I got 70 or 80 applicants. None of them, none of them were good. I, I had to repost it because I did you know, and I mean, people are looking for jobs. There's a ton of jobs, but this is technical work and it's not easy work like people would think it is just from an employee and an employer standpoint. So I think if you're starting a reptile business, a reptile store, or just, I mean, even a frog business, this is why not many of them succeed because it is truly once you have overhead, everything kind of just, it, it becomes a different beast than running it out of your house and selling, you know, 20 or 30 per million a year for profit. You know, you're not, you're, you're, you're absorbing all of those costs. Whereas a business you have overhead and you're, you need to make that money. And then it's just evaporated as soon as it hits your bank account. Oh, well, we got to order plastics again. Oh, we got to order fruit fly media because we got to keep everything running or, oh, there goes the electric bill or whoop, heater broke or, wow, I shorted the entire electrical and now there's potential for a fire, which happened to me because we're running so much electricity here. You know, it's like, I think I derailed pretty far from your question, but like running a, 
running this kind of business is not glamorous at all. And I kind of thought it was like, I had that little twinkle in my eye a couple years ago. And I was like, man, this is going to be so awesome. I'm going to have so many frogs. And it's just like, we'll have so many frogs. (laughs) So the profit isn't all there. You know, I might've been making the same amount in liquid cash that I was making a year ago, even though my business has scaled so much more. Am I really making the money back? You know, am I hiring better employees this year? I'm hiring different people. I'm making a different amount of money in a different way. So it's the business has changed so much fluid wise. It's been very fluid, but it's just, it is very challenging on all aspects. It's got to be difficult from a managing perspective too, since it's essentially, you know, it's, it's, I don't mean it like this, but it's your way or the highway. So when you have someone come in, who's going to be disruptive, I don't mean disruptive, like they come in and like, like the place on fire. I just mean, you know, like you said, they're, they're not measuring the right ratio of materials to create substrate. They're not feeding, they're, they're feeding too much or they're feeding too little. They're just not going along with the program. That costs a lot of money at the end of the day. Yes. And you're not doing it yourself because you have to delegate. Now there's not enough time for me to do it all. Like if all my employees suddenly left me, I mean, I might be able to do it, but I mean, I'd be here all night every night. I one, you know, you, I would have to put some projects on hold for sure. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. Let's just say for argument's sake that, we have a listener out there who would want to get a job in this type of environment. As the head of the company, what are some characteristics that you think that an employee who wants to work for a frog daddy should have? Like, Let's pick a department. Why don't we say shipping and receiving? What are some traits that you want that type of employee to have? Organization is number one. For shipping and receiving, you have to be organized and you have to be consistent um, in terms of your organizational strength. So what I mean by that is when you are packing packages, um, wordplay there, I guess, uh, you're putting packages together. You have to be consistently noting how heavy things are, distribution of the package. Am I equally distributing the weight? Am I putting insulation and cool packs or heat packs where I need to put them in respect to their items. If it's a plant, is this going to, is this heat pack too close? Because then it's going to cause a lot of humidity and it's going to rot the item. Um, Is it too far from the animal? Is it not going to actually reach the other side? There's all these regulations. You have to be very intelligent to be a good packer. So I think you have to be organized in your mind to be able to put orders together on paper into a box. It is a complex art form. Um, So you have to be spatially oriented as well. You have to have spatial orientation skills. Um, You have to be organized. And then you also have to have communication. And communication is a broad spectrum thing for a potential employee here. If you do not communicate with your team, about what you are doing, when you are doing it, and how you are doing it, then you are costing money because people do not know what is going on. Uh, If you need help, like if you're in shipping and receiving, you are talking to me, you're talking to, just say, my other employee that packs, that, that is actually packing like live items. They're 
basically how our facility is, is it's separated by that false wall, right? Between the breeding facility, which houses all of our live stuff, and then shipping and manufacturing. So we have rolling carts. So all the fruit flies have to go on the rolling cart. All the plants have to be packaged here and then put on the rolling cart and packaged in the other room where shipping and receiving is and, and manufacturing. So there has to be communication. Hey, I just reviewed all the product labels. Looks like we need 20 springtail cultures. Looks like we need four producing fruit flies, 27 fresh cultures, whatever it is, right? And that has to be handed off to another employee. We have to take those passion slips, fill those carts with those live items, push the carts through the double doors for the shipper to receive those items and package them. So these order slips have to maintain organization. They have to be on certain clipboards that have fruit flies. This clipboard is all the ice spot orders. This is all the plant orders. And those orders just flip around those 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 order slips and they're they're touched by three or four different people sometimes so that person who is packing the box is ultimately responsible for making sure that every single person did their job one and then they are doing their job putting it all into the box and getting it you know to to its destination in the right way so it can be shipping and manufacturing can be very challenging it is actually one of the hardest jobs here hands down. I am usually the one that does it. Now, I have not been packaging packages for about three months now. So if anybody's gotten a package, that's bad. It's not my fault. Um, but Yes, it is. You're no, the boss. Is. No, it is. Everything's <laughs> my fault. Everything's my fault. I was just kidding. Um, definitely complain to me. Um, so the, the point is, that's, that's huge. So spatial orientation and organization are key. Communication is also key. I think those are the main things, actually. So paying attention to the label, the packing slip, you know, making sure we didn't forget anything, double checking, triple checking. And there are going to be more SOPs in place to prevent things from happening. Like I told you before we got on the phone, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow, actually, um, about SOPs. And there's going to be some new ones on there. People are going to have to sign off on the product slips. Oh, yeah, I did this. This is the person that did this. So guess what? If that item didn't end up on that rolly cart, well, that employee signed off on it. So I know exactly who I know exactly who to blame. And that's that's a word I use really lightly because it's constructive. It's like, hey, we made a mistake, guys. Here it is. Here's how we're going to fix it. Let's do better next time. You know, and, and keep it positive. I always try and keep it positive here. But, you know, we have to we have to reprimand. Otherwise, you can't learn. So. And it's got to take a tremendous amount of time and effort to train somebody new when you have when you have turnover. Like, that's the other thing people don't realize is I know what the experience is from start to finish. I've trained people myself. I've, you know, I've been trained. When you put a tremendous amount of time into someone, even if it's four, five, six months, you've trained that person, you've got that person the way you want that person to be, and then the person either you know quits or is let go or takes another job, whatever. Then you have to start fresh with another person, and that sets you back. So, w- w- how has that experience been for you? Um, that has been tough. Um, I will not lie. I trained. I was very lucky. Um, my current girlfriend has been very supportive of the business. 
she has actually learned every aspect of this business. Um, not to the degree I have, of course, but it's just it, to a degree that is very functional. I was trying to be smart. And so when Sydney came in here, it was like, I don't have a job. I'm going through grad school. We're boyfriend, girlfriend. What can I do to help you? And I was like, hmm, okay, well, if you really want to help. And so what I taught her was shipping and manufacturing. So Sydney actually knows how to do all of that really well. Now she still has to come to me for like really complex orders. Like say somebody orders like seven gallons of Flora Boost and like live animals and 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 a, and a manzanita branch. How the hell are you going to fit that into a box? So that kind of stuff I take care of. You know, I split shipments. I do this. I do that. But overall, she's really good. So if I have a big shipping day, I usually call my girlfriend in, and my girlfriend can manage that my employee, my current shipper, and kind of help them along so I don't have to because I don't have time. So that is helpful, but it also, you know, the shipper and I don't create that relationship. But in in a big company like I imagine Josh's, it's not like that that employee would create a relationship with Josh. They'd create a relationship with their supervisor of, of shipping or director of shipping, you know? So it's kind of the same situation. I put Sydney in charge of that person and she manages that. So just in case that person leaves, I mean, heaven forbid Sydney left me, which is always a possibility considering how much I work. Um, she won't, but uh, she will be here, hopefully, and she can actually help train that employee with me, you know? So if I can't be on that employee 24-7, I'm not going to have time to pick up the slack of shipping 100%. I mean, we have hundreds of packages going out a week. I can't, I don't have time. You know, but she right now can't. Now, what is that going to mean for the future when she's like is finished with grad school and actually has a career? And then, yeah, I'm screwed. So I'm going to have to hire some other people, of course. So by that time, I'm going to have a department. And I'm going to create departments just like Josh's has, but not going to get nearly as big as Josh's, but have somebody there long term on salary with benefits stable employment hopefully fingers crossed that will be able to do that for me and that manages that side of the facility so if that person that is kind of a not transitional employee because i want all my employees to be long-term that's the goal but you know that's not reality so i'm hoping that i can give that person enough money enough benefits enough relationship to stay long-term so that if there is a transitional employee that's packing boxes, if they do leave, well, that person can train them now. And I don't have to spend all that time retraining them. Currently, it has been kind of like that. Um, luckily, my two employees now that are full-time, I have two full-time employees, a part-time, and then Sydney, who just helps out. And potentially another part-time coming on, but that's up for debate. So um, right now, it's not very complex. The current employees right now have a pretty good grasp on it. Uh, Sky has been here four months. She's really learned how to pack things pretty well. Just today, I let her pack all the orders. I checked them off, you know, and they went off. So it, it is very hard to train them, though. Yeah, it's that that is the biggest time constraint 
that I have right now is teaching new employees how to do this job because it detracts me from doing my job, which is everything else. So everything is put in the back burner until I can let them go on their own. So we try and learn quickly, but you can only learn so much in so little time, you know? So. What about customer service? And let me explain what I mean here. There's another large vendor that I've dealt with in the past on and off. And my biggest criticism wasn't bad customer service. It was really more along the lines that it was pretty obvious that they had hired people who had really no experience to just sort of answer the phones. And when I called with a question about a specific product, that person had no idea what I was talking about. And my first reaction was, well, I paid for this product. I ordered it from you. I paid to have it shipped. And I have questions about it. And you can't answer that question. And you can't. The person referred me. Oh, hold on. I'll give you to a frog specialist. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> this is a frog company. So right. <laughs> my my issue with them was like, at what point does it become so far removed that you have someone answering? Because like, right, right off the bat, I was like, you know what? I was like, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to get in here with here because I got no, like, no patience with stuff like that. I understand the people who knew there, there's, you know, there's transition. It's that I understand that. But when I patronize a business, if I get a person on the phone who does not know what I'm talking about, right off the bat, I lose confidence in that business. And I know that you're really big on customer service because like I, I placed an order from you and you reached out to me personally, like within like five minutes. What kind of, yeah, I mean, like what kind of I value? Try. No, no, I know I it's, it's cool. But what kind of value do you want your employees to place in customer service? Like how, how much of a challenge is that to get everyone to understand that everyone is the face of, of the product and the first person you speak to should have the same enthusiasm as the last person you speak to? Yeah, I think that's really big here. And I think we talked a little bit about it last time, but that is the key thing that I do not want to lose. And that is going to be my one of my single constraints on getting as big as, say, Josh's or, or BioDude or something like that. Not to say either of them have bad customer service. I'm just saying that at a, at a size that they are, it is so hard. For them to, you know, it's not like Josh is going to answer all the phones. How could he? I mean, there's 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 probably thousands of people that contact them a week. I mean, I don't know that. That's speculative. But, I mean, I know how many people contact me every day. And I can do some math based on how big Josh's is versus me or something like that. And, I mean, I can only imagine. So, if Josh can't be spread that thin, he has to delegate that task. Now you're delegating to a person that obviously by default has less knowledge about your business than you do because it's your business. So duh. So we're past that. And then that person probably has to delegate too, because like you said, frog specialist. Well, if there are departments in that or, or branches or anything like that, I mean, you're going to speak to somebody that, you know, you, you have to delegate even further because maybe that person's dealing with hundreds of people a week. So as bi the bigger you get, the less, I don't, I don't believe the less customer service you can have, but it's less personal. It's like when you call Google, you're never going to get the same person on the phone ever. You're going to get some 
random new person and you have a case number and you're like, yeah, my case was one, two, three, four, eight, seven, six, five, zero, three. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And we know what you're doing. You know, you're speaking to Rebecca now and then you're speaking to Mariah and then you were speaking to Jacob and it it's like that. Like, I love the fact that I can still answer customers. I do. And like the day that that goes away, I think I'm going to lose the last part of what frog daddy was. And that really scares me because I know for a fact that day is going to come and there better be a person that I employed that is going to have intimate knowledge of this business. So there's two of us, you know, I'm not going to let the customer service part go. I can't, I mean, that, that will crush me. That'll be the end of me because that's what made, that's what kind of made my company good in my eyes. I mean, I really hope so. And I've already started to miss some emails. Like I'm not even going to lie. Like last week when I was preparing for the grand reopening, I missed three emails. And people are like, well, they didn't email me back. I have a one-star review on my website. It's probably still there. It's the only one. And it's because I didn't answer their email. They reached out in a week later and I apologized. I sent them an email and I'm like, oh my God, I just got this one-star review. What happened? And it turns out they had emailed me and I was like, oh my God, these, and I, I messaged them and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I'm going to, re- you know, I'll replace your entire order. You don't even have to remove the one star review if you want to. That's great. If not, I totally understand. This was my screw up. Let me get you another order coming next week. You know, but it's like that, that scares me because I'm already getting to that point where, you know, I'm slipping a little. I can't, I can't do it all myself. So I think to an extreme degree, you know, I'm scared of that. I think a lot of the big companies almost can't control that anymore. And I don't really want to get to that point. So I don't know. Yeah. Customer service is a huge deal to me. Uh, It's a difficult crux to be at because obviously the goal, like you said, is to make money. I mean, for all intents and purposes, anyone who's starting a business is going to do it to make money. You're not yeah, you, you have to. Yeah, if you didn't want to make <laughs> money, it started. Yeah, <laughs> if you didn't want to make money, it started charity. Well, you can still make money with a charity anyway, but that's another matter entirely. But, um, I guess it's that question where, like, if we were to look at, say, Amazon, for example, I mean, Amazon started with with Jeff Bezos just selling books out of his garage. I mean, when I was younger, I bought my books for college off of Amazon because what I sold was books, and now they've become this juggernaut that owns everything. So. Yeah, it's, it's easy to point the finger and say that, well, they have this monopoly, et cetera, all that stuff. But, I mean, everyone who started a business has that same goal. It's it's The goal is to win the game. But the problem is when you lose sight of that promise that you made to yourself and the people that you wanted to patronize your business, when, when that falls apart, then it's no longer where you set out to be, you know? Right. Like exactly. I, like, I worked, I worked for a really large national company doing my my old job and the lack of communication between like we 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 dealt with it the customers would call a 1-800 number and they would get a dispatcher that was out of state who didn't know the community didn't know the neighbor didn't know anything and then they would dispatch us based on location so what happened would be you'd have a customer call up with a very very simple question and this dispatcher couldn't answer it so they would have to send yeah. they would have to send a technician out to the location just so that that person could ask a question. 
And then you weren't getting paid for that. So you got ticked off because you were working on a commission. And then the customer got kicked, you know, got pissed off. And then they called the dispatcher thinking that they were getting like a central office. And it just, it, it became this whole convoluted cycle. And it's like, look, all you had to do was just get the right person on the phone and the whole problem would have been solved. But because it has to be this big, elaborate corporate setup, you lose that personal touch that people were under the impression that they were getting from the get-go. And I think that that's, like for me, that's what causes a lot of problems and dissatisfaction is when you go on that whole big runaround. But is it part of having a huge, big, successful business? You're right. Unfortunately, it is. Correct. Yeah. So it really is a a thing that, you know, it, it's almost like for businesses that want to succeed, it's almost inevitable, right? I mean, the goal of a business is to get to a point where you are stepping away from the business and the business is making you money or or you're accomplishing some other goal. Like with my business, I never want to really step away from Frog Daddy. I just want to focus on the conservation and the outreach and the exhibits and teaching. I, I want to focus on that aspect and that department is going to be what I would like to spearhead. Whereas the operations and shipping and stuff, you know, I don't, I don't want to stay doing that forever. I mean, who, who would, right? You know, so it is difficult. But yeah, as of right now, I mean, customer service is always going to be at the forefront of the company. Customers do come first. They're not always right, but they come first, you know? So, of course, there's distinctions with that. We could get into that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, time. I don't believe the customer is not always right not that's, always right that's, that's that's a misnomer unfortunately a wrong customer can do a lot of damage for business but we're, we're kind of winding out to the end here because i know you had to get going soon but i just want to ask you where do you think frog daddy is going to be a year from now um well like i said before i really wanted to get to that goal milestone of having the breeding room Again, not necessarily finished per se, but kind of finished. As in, we have all those tanks set up. We are a full, not not exhibit, but a, a place where people can see something in, in a grander state. Um, and I think that is my main goal in terms of infrastructural improvements in the company. Um, in terms of other things like online... I really want to, I don't want to give too much away. Um, but in the next year, I did want to start our donation pledges, like we talked about in the 2022. If you read, if anybody goes to the information tab, they can start looking at donation pledges and things like that. Where in 2022, we are starting our 8% of our net gains are going towards conservation um, and then following years are increasing from there. I would really hope that that comes to fruition and that we are in a, in a place where we can do that. Um, it's not set in stone, but it is definitely something I've talked about. And I don't want to be that guy. That's all talk. <laughs> that's never been me. Uh, I have followed through with literally everything I've said in terms of, you know, in terms of what we've done with the company. So I do not think this will be any different. That is a big thing for us. Um, like we talked about in, in the previous episode with me, 
Um, so I think those are the main two things. The third thing would be for the store to be successful. Um, I really want the store to shine. I want this to be a place for people to come, get good quality items, but also have that, that experience. So that goes hand in hand with number one. I think those are our main three goals for the year. No, those are all good things. I, uh, I mean, I, I can only imagine what it must be like to walk into a store that just sells, oh, I mean, you don't just sell dark frog stuff, but to me, it just seems like it's just such a novel concept. I don't see how it could go bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I know we're kind of at the end and we kind of cover, I, there's honestly, there's everyone out there listening, there's so much more I actually wanted to get, to get into, but we're kind of strapped for time. But, um, why don't you just, t- you want to give the listeners the address of your storefront and obviously the website and any other ways that they could get in touch and, and look at some of your, some of your products and some of your frogs that you have for sale. Yeah, absolutely. So we're located at 1420 Costner School Road, Bessemer City, North Carolina, 28016. That's our storefront and our breeding facility, like I talked about. You can find us online at frogdaddy.net. Um, I am looking to purchase.com, but that dude is tenacious. Now he won $6,000 for it, so he can't use it, but it's going to be .net for a while, guys. Um, and then Instagram is frogdaddy with an underscore uh, below it. Uh, and then that's probably the three best places. You can also reach out on Facebook. You can reach out to me, Alex Minky, on my personal profile. You can also look at um, our business page. Uh, I think it's still Frog Daddy NC, but I'm not 100% sure. It might have changed. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for me. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure, Alex. I want to thank you again. I, I also want to thank you for being one of the first guests that I had on the show when I started the series off. So I uh, I just want to thank you from one guy to another for helping me out. And um, it's always it's always a pleasure talking to you. So Awesome. Thanks cool. so much for having me again. My pleasure. All right, everyone. I want to thank you guys again. I want to thanks Al- uh, thank Alex for giving us some insight in terms of what it's like operating a frog business. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. We've got some good stuff coming up soon and uh, can't wait for you guys to hear it. Take care, everyone.